have a happy new year. Have a very happy new year. Raise your hand if you have said that to somebody or heard it said to you in the last couple of days. I thought so. That's a lot of us. That's a wish we, uh, we really hold dear for the people that we love and for ourselves. We hope and pray that this year ahead, whose, whose future we can't fully see, will indeed be a very, very happy new year. Leaving aside for a moment the perennial debate over whether happiness is in fact the thing we should most pursue in life, uh, just setting aside for a moment the whole question of whether uh, being happy is the ultimate end and purpose of life, let's just assume for a moment together that happiness is a common grace, that God wants to see his children experiencing the joy of life. And so let's move instead to the question of how we find it, how we experience a deeper kind of happiness in this year ahead. What will be our strategy for pursuing a greater kind of happiness? Some of us will immediately respond that being given a lot more money would be a good start. That is often the uh, hope, uh, spoken or unspoken, of many people as they begin the new year, that this is going to be a year in which I'm relieved of some of the pressure I feel, all of the financial burdens I feel. Money would be a good start to happiness, we think. I, I think of the uh, famous remark of Joan Rivers who once said, people may say that money is not the key to happiness, but I always figure that if you have enough money, you can have a key made right? A lot of people agree with that. It's the focus of so much of the commercial culture of our time. When surveyed, the average American says that they are certain they would be happier if they had about twice as much money as they have now. Uh, That's what most people actually say, whether they're making 25K or $25 $25 million, the answer is the same. I'd be happy, I'm, I'm sure I'd be happy if I had about twice as much as I have right now. Strangely, study after study confirms that once your basic needs are met, once you've got the, the food, the shelter, the clothing, the, 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 the health care, the, I suppose these days the internet and the cable uh, worked out, Once those apparent basic needs are met, happiness does not seem to actually increase no matter how much more money you get. If you go home today and you Google the phrase economic materialism, you're going to be presented with the result of study after study that finds that save for the momentary adrenaline rush that comes with a new purchase, we all feel that sometimes when an a new acquisition has been made, save for that momentary rush of pleasure at getting that new thing, with very rare exception, persevering happiness actually seems to go down the more our material count goes up, the more we have to take care of, to worry over, to distribute, to dust, to upgrade, to contain. Uh, We find happiness actually declining in many cases at least with rare exception. 
So, so if money is not really the key to happiness, what about the other perennially popular happiness key always being peddled to us? What about sex? What if we could have more romance in this next year? Would that make us happier? Well, you might be interested to know that according to the research, it would actually work quite a bit better than having more money. According to a study done by a uh, famous Dartmouth uh, College economist and a a partner on the uh, British side of things, according to their study, an increase in the frequency of intimate relations is actually a much more reliable predictor of happiness than an increase in cash. In fact, on the happiness index, they found, going from monthly to weekly in intimate relations has about the same effect as being given a $50,000 raise in your income. Which I suppose means for you married folk, forget buying the new car, just spend more time in the backseat of the old one. And life will go better for you in this year ahead. Whether you are um, married or single or a young adult or a, or a teenager or even a kid, I want to rush to add that there is something even more reliable when it comes to elevating one's sense of joy and pleasure in life that we can each do in this new year and see better results. What's the key to happiness? asks Bernice Kanner, the late great journalist for Bloomberg News, the New York Times, and New York Magazine. And the answer, she found, may surprise you. According to a recent survey, Kanner writes, the answer is leading a moral life, going to church, and reading your Bible. If you want a happier life, lead a moral life, go to church, and read your Bible. In short, the key to happiness is listening to the Word of God. Now, I am curious as to what she really means by that, as perhaps you are. Because Kenner then goes on to actually share the results of the research that indicates that those who study the Scriptures regularly and who seek to live by what they read there report a higher level of satisfaction with life than those who do not read the Scriptures with any kind of regularity or at all. For example, a study by the respected Barna Research Group found that 82% of regular Bible readers described themselves as feeling at peace as compared to just 58% of those who said they never read the Bible. That something about reading the Bible builds our sense of peace, that things will be okay, that we will be okay even though life is often tumultuous and stormy. 78% of regular Bible readers said that they felt happy or contented all or most of the time as compared to just 67% of non-readers. 68% of regular Bible readers said they felt full of joy compared to 44% who said that they rarely or never read the Bible. 
And a whopping 93% of all adults say that reading the Bible regularly makes them feel more thankful. Even when they have things that are missing, even when they are going through difficult times, 93% say they feel more thankful as a result of reading God's Word. Those are some pretty interesting statistics, don't you think? I mean, that's hard data. A big gap of experience with life between those who regularly read God's Word and those who do not. So why do you think that listening to the Word of God, taking in the Word of God, makes such a profound difference in the lives of people? Why do people who read the Bible seem to experience a greater sense of of joy, of peace, of gratitude than those who do not do so? Well, I want to suggest to you today that that the answer, at least something of an answer to this mystery, can be found in the opening words of the Gospel of John as we read them together a moment ago. And let me just be clear here that as we look at this passage together, when we hear the term the Word, the Word of God, this passage is talking first and foremost about Jesus. It is talking first and foremost about the Word of God made flesh, the Son of God in person, come to earth, Jesus of Nazareth. But because Christians believe, and Jesus himself taught, that the Bible is the same Word of God made written, it's God meeting us in the pages of a holy book. The teachings we find, therefore, in John chapter 1 also tell us something about the effect we might expect the Bible to have in the lives of those who take it in. Just as taking in the person of Jesus has a life-changing impact on an individual, so taking in the Word of God made written on a regular basis has a life-changing impact. Now, the first thing that this particular passage teaches us is suggested in the very opening verse of the passage, the one we read a moment ago. And let me just give it to us again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or in simplest terms, the closer you get to the Word, the closer you get to God. That's the big idea here. The closer you get to the Word, the closer you get to the God behind this Word. Now, some people consider me, or pastors in general, reasonably close to God. And and sometimes we as pastors really do feel reasonably uh, close to God. I know I have spent a lot of time looking for him. To, to get close to him. Uh, I, I have looked for God out in, in the natural world. Even driving over today, I'm looking out at the snowy uh, woods and, and marveling at the, the pristine beauty of it all and sensing the presence of God even in the midst of the storm. I have sought God out in hospital rooms and in graveyards, seeking his face. I have called out to him with great passion in prayer and and especially invoked his name at times after a miserable golf shot 
Um, Lord, forgive me for what I've just done. But it has been when I have been reading the Scriptures. It's when I've been reading the text of the Bible, uh, perhaps with you aloud in worship, or um, when I have been uh, reading it with my family uh, at, at, a, at a meal time, or when I've been pouring over the Scriptures in my study, or searching out their meaning with the, the guys in the small group I meet with on a weekly basis. It's in these times when I'm really reading the Word of God that God seems closest to me. It's not that I don't meet God in these other places. I do. Uh, but it just seems like when I'm in the Word, He's closest to me of any other place. Sometimes it makes me roll in laughter. I have sat sometimes preparing messages for, for the weekend, and, and I just laugh at the grace of God. And other times it makes me weep hot tears, sometimes of repentance, as I think about my need for Him uh, before His holiness, or as I think of the magnificence of His grace. Tears stream down my face with joy at the wonder of His amazing grace. I, I get it. I understand what those two disciples meant who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus and later said to the other disciples, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? As he opened the Scriptures to us, did not the very presence of God burn in our heart? I get that. I feel that. Do you have that kind of intimacy with God yourself? Have you felt the very presence of God strangely warm you from the center? Have you felt that kind of closeness to your creator, your redeemer, and your sustainer? Because you can. You absolutely can. Generations before you have experienced this. It means taking steps to get closer to the word of God. Secondly, John tells us in verse 3 that through the Word, all things were made. And without Him was not one thing made that has been made. And I think that the simple implication for us in that verse, in this specific teaching, is that God's Word has power to make big things happen. That we're being reminded that the Word of God has life-establishing, life-creating, life-altering power in it. One day, the famous first-century rabbi Akiva was reminded of this reality for himself. Akiva, as the story goes, was out shepherding his flocks in the countryside. And as he was going along, he noticed a little stream running down the hillside. And the stream ran out across a rock ledge and began to fall over the edge of the ledge. It was not a lot of water. It was really just a trickle of water in an arid climate. But Akiva marveled that at the bottom beneath the ledge where another rock, a table rock of sorts, was sat that a deep impression had formed beneath the flow where the drip, drip, drip of the stream had come to rest. 
over the centuries, this deep impression formed. Rabbi Akiva observed, and I quote, if mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more can God's word carve away into my heart of flesh? Akiva realized that if the water had flowed over the rock and on, over the ledge and onto that rock all at once, if there had been a great torrent all at once that had come down there and it would have just run across and left the rock entirely unchanged. It was actually the drip, drip, drip. Day after day, week after week, year after year, over the centuries, that accounted for the complete reformation of the stone. What significant reformations has the Word of God made in your life? What are the major changes in your character or your conduct that you can point to as the result of the influence, the impression of God's Word in your life? If you cannot point to some very deep impressions, some profound reshaping of your behaviors or your belief system, then one of two things is absolutely certain, I think. One, you're young yet. You need more time for the drip, drip, drip to take its effect. Or two, you may need to put yourself more regularly beneath the flow of His Word the life-giving stream of God's Word. Here's what I'm trying to impress upon you in the brief time we have together today. Here are just three big ideas I'm hoping you're going to take away with you as you move into this new year. The first one is this. The closer you get to the Word, the closer you'll get to God. Number two, God's Word has the power to make big changes happen for you and in you, and through you. And finally, the Word of God is the light for living that you need. It is the lamp unto your feet that you need. The Word of God has the light for living all of us need. The Apostle John puts it this way, in the Word was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know that many Americans today are concerned about the darkness? Do you know that in spite of all of the justifiable optimism about the capacities of humanity with our technology and our medical know-how and our economic might to do all kinds of wonderful things, many, many people of all ages in red states and blue states alike are deeply concerned that we may have begun to really lose the interior capacity to use our external capacities wisely and rightly. 77% of all Americans surveyed say they believe that our morals and our values are in decline, that we're losing the fundamental vision and moral clarity needed to use our powers in effective ways to solve the problems of our time. And what is fascinating to me is what so many people are citing as the reason for this. 
This is what blew me away as I came across this statistic this week. The number one cause cited by people concerned about moral decline, the number one reason for that decline cited by those surveyed is a lack of regular Bible reading. Huge numbers of Americans are deeply concerned that the loss of the Bible as a central informing reality in the life of American society is having a terribly darkening effect on us. In fact, I was fascinated to see that 70% of Americans believe that the Bible provides answers on how we can live a better life, but too few people are seeking those answers. Despite all of the anti-Christian messaging that you're hearing all over the place these days, four times as many people believe that the Bible has too little influence in American life than those who believe that it's got too much influence. Four times as many people believe we need to get back to the Word of God. Where do you need more light in your life? To face the darkness that you may be dealing with. Where do you need more light? Is it in your marriage that you need the light of God to help you see the way? Is it in your parenting that you need greater vision and clarity? Is it in how you use your resources? Is it in how you manage conflict? Is it in finding a way to cope with illness or death? in yourself, your loved ones? Is it in uh, finding your vocation, uh, your, your particular calling for the years ahead? Where do you need a lamp unto your feet? Where do you need the light of life uh, in, your, in your world? Uh, if there was more of that light, could your life be happier? If there was more of that light shed abroad in our society, could this new year be happier for our nation as well. George Mueller, the great 19th century Christian statesman, once shared this. He said, I never remember a period that I ever sincerely and patiently sought to know the will of God by the teaching of the Holy Ghost through the instrumentality of the Word of God, but I have been always directed rightly. But if honesty of heart and uprightness before God were lacking, or if I did not patiently wait upon God for instruction, or if I preferred the counsel of my fellow men to the declarations of the word of the living God, I made great mistakes. Let me update the the, the statement, the testimony Mueller's giving us for our time. If I spent more of my time and energy consulting the New York Times, if I spent way too much of my time and energy listening to the political pundits or watching Fox News, if I spent all of my energies, the time that I had to be soaking in information, scouring the internet and consulting Wikipedia instead of the Word of God, I, I could not judge rightly the path that I should take. But when I went back to the Word of God, when I sought His face, His guidance there in the Word, I was directed rightly. Where do you need to consult the Word of God to find light 
for your life. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of all things, there was the Word. And from that Word, everything that was needed, everything that was valuable came. Let's begin this new year by putting the Word of God first in our life. That's my encouragement, my invitation for today to you. How can we do that? How can we, practically speaking, really do this? Let me just give you a few ideas. One, every day, read two chapters of the Bible. Maybe one in the morning, one in the evening, before you go to bed. Read a passage from the Old Testament and read one from the New. Don't just read the Old Testament. You may str- you'll hit numbers and you'll give up. Read Old Testament and New Testament uh, each day. Or, secondly, commit yourself to reading just the four lessons from the common lectionary menu each week. This is not a hard Bible reading plan. Uh, We print up those texts for you every week in the worship bulletin. You can get the common lectionary text on the internet anytime. Just type in common lectionary. You'll find it there. It's just four passages. Commit to reading those four passages over the course of a week before you come to church on the weekend and we have a chance to reflect on it as we're doing today. Or thirdly, Buy a devotional Bible, a Bible that, that, that is broken down into little sections with little devotional meditations following uh, the section, and, and read one of those texts and its reflection at mealtimes. Um, do it with your household members. Uh, call uh, your mom up across the country and read it with her. Uh, just find a way of processing the Bible together. Or get hold of any of the books in the essential set that Greg Ogden and I have written. There's a whole new one out now on the Old Testament. Uh, it would make those passages from Numbers easier, I think. Uh, but but that, that, those books are all written to help you plunge deeply into the Scriptures and derive their essential light and meaning. Or fifthly, join a Bible study at your local church. You know, we have them just about every single day of the week here at this church. If you don't have a local church, let Christ Church be your local church. And we, we would love to help you plunge into the Word of God in the company of others. Or, sixthly, make use of the special resource that we've handed out today or that you can get on our website along with this particular sermon. And uh, use those simple suggestions on that sheet that you got called Listening to the Word of God and see if that doesn't help you really come closer to God through His Word. You know, in her book, Amazing Grace... Uh, Kathleen Norris shares uh, a tale that she calls uh, the scariest story I ever have known concerning the Scriptures. That's an interesting uh, introduction, isn't it? Uh, And in this particular um, encounter, with which I want to close us this morning, uh, Norris and her husband have gone to visit an elderly gentleman. Uh, This particular gentleman is a very tough a self-sufficient kind of guy. His name is Arlo, and he has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and uh, Norris and her husband are going uh, to pay a a courtesy call to him. Arlo began reminiscing as they sat together talking, and his conversation turned to the subject of his grandfather. And his grandfather, it turns out, had been a very committed follower of Jesus, a guy very devoted to, to Christ, and he had given Arlo and his bride on the occasion of their wedding 
an expensive leather Bible with their names embossed across the cover of the Bible. It was just a beautiful gift. And for months afterward, Arlo recalls, his grandfather kept on asking, do you like the Bible? Do you like the Bible? And, and, and Arlo said to Kathleen Norris, with some irritation, you know, the wife had written a nice thank you note for the Bible. Uh, we, we thanked him in person. But, but somehow he could not let it lie. He would not leave us alone. He just kept, every time we saw him, asking, do you like the Bible? And the truth was, Arlo couldn't really answer because he had never opened the box. It was just sitting on a shelf in his house. And one day, maybe just moved with curiosity or to get rid of the, the, this constant interaction with the grandfather, Arlo finally opened it up. And here's what he shares. I finally took that Bible out of the closet. And I found that granddad had placed a $20 bill at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And a $20 bill at the beginning of every other book in the Bible. And this was when $20 was a lot of money to a struggling newly married couple. There was in that Bible over $1,300 Arlo's grandfather had kept on prompting him not to beat him up, not to guilt him out, but because he feared his loved ones would never find the treasure that was there for them. Will you please, please, please listen to these promptings you're getting today? They're not there to to bludgeon you or to guilt you out. God has left a treasure for you and me. He really has. It's better than money. It's more valuable than money. It's better than sex. It is. It's the key to happiness. (laughs) It's the key to joy and and peace and gratitude and, and guidance and everything that we need. It's the key to that healthier life that each of us and our nation is so desperately seeking in all of these unconstructive ways, these penultimate ways today. Will you please listen to these promptings, to this voice coming to you today? It is time to get closer to God. It is time to get closer to God. It is time to put ourselves beneath the drip, drip, drip of his life-changing stream. It is time to seek out his light amidst the gathering darkness. And so my closing question to you is, when and where and how are you going to open the box? Please pray with me. Lord, help us to make a beginning. As we start this new year of life, move us by the loving guidance of your Holy Spirit 
to come closer to you, to, to let you have your reforming impression and influence upon us, to find the light for living that we need. Move us, Lord, toward your word, to find in our own uh, pattern of life something that allows us on a regular basis to engage the scriptures in a deeper way. Don't let us rest, Lord. Don't stop prompting us until we, each of us, have opened the box and found in it the life that you long for us to know. For this we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.